as you guys know, this is our very last sermon in James. And last week was supposed to be our last week. If you have your Bibles, we're in James chapter 5. And like we usually do, we're in the ESV version. So if you have the Bible app on your phones, we're in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. I was going to do this whole section last week, but it turned out to be a much more labor-intensive passage than I once thought. So we broke it up, and we'll do the second half this week. Um, so... Again, this isn't a Christmas message by any means, but that's what Christmas Eve is for, right? All right, this is James. This is James talking to the church, the church that is dispersed and persecuted and suffering. But he, he sends this letter. So I'm going to read the whole passage in its entirety, and then we'll, um, we'll talk about last week for a second, and then talk about this, this week. So in James 5, verse 13 through 20, he starts out and says this. Is anybody among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any, one of, is any among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. God, as we unpack your truth, God, we know that each and every word here is extremely important. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired this in a way that it's useful for them, but it's also useful for us. And God, we know that you have a message for each one of us. You have a plan for each one of us. You have instructions for each one of us. And God, though we might hear your message in a slightly different way, and we might get a different truth, and one part might stick out to us and Another part might stick out to somebody else a little bit more. We pray that your Holy Spirit does the magnifying of each verse. We pray that your Holy Spirit does the clarifying in our minds. And God, um, I pray that we just leave here a changed people because of you and because of your word and because of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said? All right. So we covered the first half last week. Again, the first part, um, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Go to the elders. That's not just a to-do list, but it's, it's talking about the heart of the issue. He's saying, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, pray. If you're sick, pray. Like, let God be everything, and let him be your everything, and uh, your all and everything. Your all in all, your everything. Let God be your number one source for healing. Go to God. For joy, go to God. You know, for suffering, go to God. Let him be your all in all. And again, this counterfeit faith series is all about, is your faith real? Is it deep? Is it shallow? Is it non-existent? Like, what is it? Because all James does, and he uses this reference, is he holds up a mirror, which is the word of God to each one of us, and we get to see who we really are. That's kind of the point, is we get to see who we really are. And so he says this, in every situation, go to God first. Because he knows this. What do we do when we're struggling? What do we do when we're struggling? We miss church. We don't pray. 
You know, you ever see somebody and you're like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Like, where have you been? I haven't seen you in church in a while. And they're like, I've just been struggling. So I've just kind of like, so when you're struggling, you don't go to church, you don't pray, you don't read your Bible, you just sit on an island of struggling by yourself. And he's saying, no, when you're struggling, go to God. Like, when we're struggling, that's when we need to be here surrounded by our community. That's why we need to be in God's word the most is when we are struggling, not retreating. And he says, what do you do when you're happy? What do you do when you're happy? You pat yourself on the back, say, I've done pretty good for myself. You know, I made some very wise decisions in my life, and I'm happy. No, he's saying, if you're happy right now and you're filled with joy, just give God the praise because he's the reason you're happy. Give God the praise and enjoy your happiness and, and, and give glory to God. And, you know, what do we do when we're sick? He's saying, it's okay to take medicine. We talked about that last week with the oil. But he's saying, if you're sick, you should call on the elders of the church to pray over you. He's saying, call on the elders of the church to pray over you. In uh, James 5, 14 through 15, I'll read this passage again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. In the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So calling on the elders is an act of faith. Like, that's for you guys. So if you're saying, well, how do I have faith? Like, what is my, like, what is faith? Faith is stepping forward when you're sick and calling one of the pastors or calling the elders or maybe calling your missional community leader and saying, I'm sick, can you pray for me? Is that, you know what I'm saying? Because here it doesn't say, elders, go find the sick people and pray for them. It's not necessarily saying that. It's saying if you're sick, you call on the elders and have them pray for you. Get it? It's an act of faith that you have to take that first step. If you want to be healed, you have to take that first step and call on the elders and do that. Make sense? We did give you guys a, a, a path to do that last week. After service, uh, me and the elders sat up here and said, if anybody wants prayer for healing, if anyone's sick, come forward for healing. We also put it on social media that, hey, we have elder meetings every other Monday night. If you want to come forward for healing, um, we're going to be here at 6 o'clock. So come on down. We did that. And I'm not saying anything. I'm not judging you in my Christmas sweater, but I'm saying we have the healthiest church in West Michigan. Nobody here is sick. Nobody here is on medication. Nobody here has pain. Everybody's well because nobody came forward for healing. <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm so glad that everybody here is well and nobody has any sickness. Just kidding. I did come forward because I wanted prayer for his healing because I had some medical issues last week. But it's better now. Praise God. But, um, but in all honesty, like, if you're sick, like, I think sometimes, and this is off my notes a little bit, but we get on the habit of taking, like, medication where it's like, this is my life now. I'm just in the habit of being perpetually sick. And so it doesn't even cross our minds to go to the elders. I'm not saying medication's bad, but I'm saying, like, man, you want to be healed. Like, you want to be the place where you don't need medication. I think that we can get to that place. I think God can do that. Not saying just pitch all your medication in the trash. I'm definitely not saying that. Don't be saying that and putting this going viral on YouTube as insane pastor telling you to chuck your medicine. I'm just saying if you want to be healed, I believe God can heal us. I really do. And I'm not just saying that. I believe that we can experience healing because he, we all are going to receive healing when we take our last breath and we stand face to face with Jesus. When we all step in the gates of heaven, we're going to receive healing permanently. But I believe there's healing here on earth for what ails us. And he says, go to the elders and pray. I mean, isn't that exciting? And I say, wow, well, come... 
zero people want to come forward. And, and I, I leave that to you guys. That's your step of faith if you need healing to come forward and call on us. And I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, do it. I had someone in my last church who was struggling with a health issue for a long time. And I talked to her husband. I said, hey, when we, because at our last church, we prayed for people, the elders did after service every week. I'm like, I haven't seen her. Like, she's having this big issue. Why isn't she coming forward? And he said, I'm just going to leave that for her. Like, that's her decision to make. And it makes sense to me why he said that. It's like you can't force somebody to want prayer for healing. It just has to be something you want to do. So I'm going to move on. God heals. Amen? I believe that with, with every heart of my being. So look at verse um, 5, 16. It's our first verse of today. It says this, um, 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, part of the reason they say call on the elders of the church is the elders should be the righteous people. But I think also your missional community leader or your friend, I mean, I believe other people can pray for you as well. But, you know, they said the elders should be the righteous ones who can pray for you. And so that's why they say that. But there's two things here. They say here, confess your sins to one another. This is a practice that we as a church need to get in the habit of doing is confessing our sins to one another. Um, all of our missional communities have a space in them where you can confess your sins to one another. We offered that this year. And so guys and guys break up and girls and girls break up and we have a safe space where we can confess our sins to one another. And we do that because it's important to, to get our sins out. We got it. Like most of us are okay with confessing our sins to God. But oftentimes we have a hard time confessing our sins to another brother or sister. And let me tell you why that's important. Number one is sin grows best in the dark. Sin grows best in the dark. So if there is a sin that you're struggling with, no matter how little it is, whatever, how, lie you've been, uh, how little of a lie you've been living or, or how little of a sin, maybe just looking or desiring, but when you don't share that or when it's not exposed to God or to other people, sin grows and it becomes worse and worse. And the Bible says when sin is full grown, it gives birth to what? Death. It gives birth to death. It births to death. Look at James 1.15. Then desire, meaning the uncontrollable desire to want more or the desire towards sin. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And so if we don't confess our sins to one another, so it can be exposed and eradicated, it's going to eventually destroy us. Have anybody ever seen anybody destroyed by sin? Like their whole life destroyed by sin? They lost their job, they lost their family. Sometimes even their sin killed them. I mean, we see that a lot. And so he's saying, confess your sin. Talk to somebody about it. The sin that you are most embarrassed about is the very sin that you need to confess the most and the very sin that will destroy you. So sin grows best in the dark. It thrives in secrecy. The more it's in dark and nobody knows about it, the more sin can get its grips on us and, and hold us tight. The, we say like the deadly coils of sin could tighten its grip on our lives. And this is the whole point of the gospel. Like Jesus died on the cross so we could have freedom from sin. Like, we don't have to go back to the sin that we hate. We have freedom from it. But, it, you know, we have to confess it to God. We have to bring it to others. And we have to bring it to Jesus and bring it to our people. Not confessing our sin is like ignoring a medical problem. Do you guys ever know anybody, and this is particularly men, and I'm just calling out all men, 
men seem to ignore medical problems in their life. Do you ever notice a man that does that? Like has this big glaring medical problem and they just don't do anything about it. You all know somebody like that. Like, like, uh, like, like a, a guy's like, you know, honey, oh, well, I could use a billion examples that are probably really gross. But think about this. A guy has this mole on his, uh, you know, on his body, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and it could be like skin cancer, right? And he thinks, man, I should get this checked out. But he says, nah, I'm just going to leave it. And it keeps growing. You see it a few weeks later. It's getting a little bigger. It's getting a little bigger. And you just keep ignoring it and keep ignoring it. And next thing you know, you go to a pool party and take your shirt off. And your wife is like, oh, my gosh, what is that on your arm? And it's this big, honking, mole, cancerous thing on your arm. And you're like, oh, yeah, that thing has just been there. It's not a big deal. Uh, it's, a, it's not a big deal. It's, and you're like, you need to go see a doctor. That's bad. Has anybody ever had that conversation where somebody says, you need to see a doctor. Like, what you have is bad. It may not be a mole, but, hey, you can't breathe walking up and down the stairs. You need to go see a doctor. You've been fainting every day. Like, you need to go see somebody. But sometimes we hate to go see a doctor. Why? Because we don't want to face the bad news, maybe. We don't want to go through the mess. But the medical condition that you ignore, if you keep it from a doctor, guess what? It gets way worse than it would have been if you just would have went to the doctor to begin with, right? They see this little thing, they cut it off, not a big deal. But it's a big hunking thing. If it's cancerous, it goes to other places and screws up other things and does bad things. And it's the same with sin. Confess it. Get it out there. It's embarrassing. It's hard to tell people, you know, what you're struggling with. But we need to. We need to. We need to confess it. You know, if, if, if you know, for instance, you say, I look at porn. And, and you confess that to somebody. I know I shouldn't. I look at porn. You confess it to somebody. And they say, wow. Okay. Well, you bring it to God. How often? I look every couple days. Okay, well, how long has this been going on? Months and months. It's like, well, you're, like, I love you, but you're addicted. Like, and you, we, sometimes we need somebody to tell us that, right? Like, that's an addiction. You don't want to do something and you keep doing it. That's what we call addiction. So let's get help. Let's get something on your phone or on your computer or your iPad or whatever. And you get help for that. And it doesn't matter how often you look. If you look and you want to stop, then you're addicted. But listen, the reason that we get calloused to our sin is we compare ourselves with other people, right? We compare ourselves to other people so it makes our sin look less. And what we say to ourselves, and I've heard people say, you know, the guys at work cheat on their wives, you know, for real, like with other women. They cheat on their wives. I just look at porn. So actually, this is not as bad as what other people are doing. And so we convince ourselves that what we're doing is okay and not that big of a deal. But we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to other people. We should be comparing ourselves to the Word of God and saying, like, this is bad. No matter who you are, no matter what, we shouldn't be doing this. It's the same way. Maybe you lie and you confess and you tell your friend, you know, I've been lying to my husband. Okay. But we think what other people lie about is way worse. I know people who lie about way worse stuff. I just lie about this, and, but it's still a sin, and we need to take it seriously. And so missional communities have found a way. We do a thing called the play. And the play is just a way to get to know each other. What's the biggest thing going on in your life? How's your marriage? How's your spiritual disciplines? And what sins are you struggling with? And so that gives a way to bring out the sin 
in our lives and share it with somebody. Because guess what? I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you share that sin that you're struggling with, like nobody knows about, when you share it, Satan loses all his power in your life. Satan loses all of his power because people know now. People could be praying for you. People know it's out in the open. It's no longer a secret. So it's good. And my, cha- my challenge to all missional communities for the next half of the year, because, you know, come in January, they're going to start the second semester and it goes until May, is really start sharing your most embarrassing sin. Really start sharing your most embarrassing sin. You know what I mean? Leaders, let, like, let's take the rein on sharing this with other people. And maybe you can't share it with the whole group. Maybe you just have to share it with your leader. That's fine. I will give you that. But start to get it out there. Don't just share your sin as, oh, I work too hard. You know, I work too hard. You know, I'm a workaholic. Or, you know, I get road rage sometimes. It's like, no, no. There is some embarrassing sin out there that you need to get off your chest and share with other people, okay? So do that. If you're not in a missional community, find a trusted woman or a trusted man that you could share your, your sin with. Okay, next verse. Confess your sins to one another. That's that verse. This one is, he talks about prayer and how prayer of the righteous person avails much. He talks about the importance of our prayer. So look at James 5, um, 17 through 18. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Guys, this is one of my favorite Bible verses in all of the Bible. And think about this. Why would this be one person's favorite Bible verse of the whole entire Bible? Is because of this. First verse, Elijah was a man with a nature just like whose? He's saying Elijah's no different than any of us. And this man prayed, and it stopped raining for three years on the earth. Because he prayed fervently. He prayed intensely. He prayed hard. And he had faith that God would do it. And God answers his prayer. So he's saying, Elijah's just like you. He's no different. He had faith that God would move. Elijah called down fire from heaven. So he's saying, what does Elijah have on you? What does Elijah have on you? Nothing. What does David have on you? Like, honestly, what does David, Elijah, Moses, Joshua, what do any of these Bible heroes have on you? They seem they have a nature just like yours. They just like you. They're a regular man or a regular woman, and they just had a faith that God could move and God used them in a big way. That's important for all of us to realize. That's important for all of us to realize, and if you need help reminding that, because this is what I ask somebody sometimes to step out of their comfort zone. Listen, I ask them to step out of their comfort zone. Do something that they're not comfortable with. Be a missional community leader. Be a man down in Kidsmen or lead at every 12th site or maybe be an elder or whatever. I hear people be like, I'm not ready for that. Like, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm like, was Moses ready to lead the people out of Egypt? Was Moses ready to part the Red Sea? Did he wake up one morning and say, I feel strong and confident to do that? No. He trusted God would work through him. And so he's saying, you guys are no different. And he's saying, Elijah was just like you guys. And his prayers did amazing things throughout the world. Do you believe your prayers are that powerful? Do we believe our prayers are that powerful? Can you say amen if you believe that? All right. 
I'm getting better at trying to, like, rally you guys up on those type of things. You believe it? Yes! Okay. But, guys, this is so important because I think sometimes as a church, we feel defeated. Why do we feel defeated? Like, think about that. Why do we feel like we've already lost? Like, in life, I'm going to go apply for this job. I probably won't get it. I'm probably going to pray for healing. I know it's not going to change. I know that I'm going to look for a, uh, I'm praying that God will give me a, a husband. Uh, it's not going to happen at this church. I'm going to pray that God's going to give me a wife. It's probably not going to happen. Like we walk around with a big L on our foreheads. Like we've just lost. And he's saying, no, wait, wait. Elijah was just like you, prayed for no rain. It didn't rain for three years. What can your prayers do if you believe God can do it? That's the important thing. You know, we talked about what does David have that you don't have, all this stuff. Why do I hear, def- you know, we lack faith that God can move. So no wonder we don't see victory in our lives. Stop blocking God before he could either, even move, okay? First thing first, before you pray, if you're doubting, you know, just pray for faith before you pray. If, you're, if you just know God's not going to do it. So sometimes we block God before he could even move. But the other thing is don't let other people block God for you. You ever notice that other people block God for you? Here's a good example. We're going to go out here. We're going to do a block party. We're going to try to reach these neighbors and love them for Jesus. Be like, we tried that in our neighborhood. It doesn't work. Anybody ever hear you say that? We tried that. It doesn't work. Stop. Don't try. You know what? You know, whatever it is, whatever battle you're fighting, I prayed for healing, never received it. You shouldn't try either. Right? I prayed for this. Never happened. You might as well give up now. And people walk around telling each other this. You know what I mean? It's never going to get better. It's never going to get better. Better. And other people already blocked God for you. So the question is, do you believe that you could have an intimacy with God like David had who wrote the book of Psalms? Do you believe that you could have that kind of intimacy with God? The answer is yes. Do you believe that God can respond to your prayers like Elijah? who called down fire from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal. Do you believe that God can use you, use your prayers to have that type of power? And if you say yes, like we need to keep holding on to that, holding on to this verse. But if we're like, nah, I've I've tried it, I've tried it. Like you're just going to be defeated your whole life. You're just going to be defeated. You've already blocked God. Stop saying no to God. Stop putting God in a box. And most of all, stop putting yourself in a box. I'm not that person. I'm not that leader. I'm not that good. I've sinned. I've done this. And it's saying it doesn't matter. We've all sinned. We've all done horrible things. We've all proverbially spit in the face of God, and we all have this dirty mark of stain on our lives, and it's only washed away by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So if you say, I don't feel good, I don't feel like a sinner, it's like, well, you need to get over that and trust that Jesus' sin cleansed you from all of that. And stop letting your past hold you back and start worrying about the future. Start thinking about the future. Not worrying, okay? Start thinking about the future. Doesn't matter. We've all done bad things. Get over it. Jesus has cleansed that. You know, I'm not, you know, I, like you can be and do anything you want with the power of God. Like nothing can stop you. And so that's what we need to hold on to. And just like this, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently for amazing things, and amazing things happened. So what the inf- inference is, is you can, he, you have a nature just like him. 
You can pray for amazing things, and amazing things could happen. Amen? That's what it's implying right there. So let's go on to James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. It's our last, last portion. He says this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Okay, this is important here. It's talking about, he's talking about prayer. He's talking about a righteous person's prayer is very powerful. And we all have, you know, the power to pray like Elijah. We all have that within us. But then he ends here, the very last section to this church. This whole book of James is kind of about counterfeit faith and is your faith real and all this stuff. And he ends by just saying this. Has anyone among you wandered from the truth? He's not just talking about people in the community that don't know Jesus. He's talking about Jerob people who just have wandered. Now, how do you know who's wandered? We've already talked about this. You're saying, well, I can't judge. It's no place for me to judge. But that's not true. He's saying, like, what's a good way? A good way to see if somebody wandered is if one of your J-Road peeps that comes here stops coming to J-Road, it's good to call them and say, hey, what's up? Where have you been? And they might say, hey, I'm going to a different church. That is great. Like, oh, are you? Cool. Like, you involved there? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Like, go. If you can't blossom here, blossom somewhere else. We always say that, right? But if they're like, uh, I don't go to J-Road anymore, but I don't go anywhere anymore. That's kind of what James would say, that person is wandering, okay? Now, we are a society that we don't like to meddle in other people's affairs, right? Right? I mean, be honest. We don't like to meddle in people's business. I mind my business, you mind yours. Who am I to tell you to get your butt back in church? <laughs> and I've seen this play out in my life. Like, get this. This is a side story, but we were at the playground one time, and we were with my in-laws, and we were at the beach down at uh, Pier Marquette Beach. You know, they had that new play equipment, and it's really stinking high. Well, my son, like, we were all over here, and my kids are playing at the beach, or at the playground equipment, and Jonathan, my youngest son, who was three at the time, he climbed to the very top of this enclosed, um, whatever, slide, and he was hanging at the top. And we were all talking over here. We didn't see it. And these guys came over, and they're like, hey, hey, is that your kid? Like, and we're like, yeah. And they're like, he's like really high, and he's about to fall off. And he came, guys, dang, I ran over there. And I s promise you, I saw four or five grown men standing around like this. <laughs> like, like at the J-Rock in that light, that's where my kid was like dangling from his life, and they were just like this. I'm like, Y'all couldn't have helped? Like, y'all couldn't have, like, stood under there and catch him if he falls? Like, five grown dudes with kids. And I think part of it is, is like, I don't want to, like, touch another person's kid. I don't want to, like, I don't want to get involved. You know, it's just not my place. I don't want to meddle in other people's affairs. And I'm like, dude, like, help somebody. You know what I mean? Like, what are you guys doing? Like, stand under him at least in case he falls. <laughs> And, you know, but I think we have this mindset of, like, I don't mess with other people. I don't get involved in their affairs. I don't people get involved in my affairs. And it shouldn't be like that in the church. I think if you become a partner of Jericho Road Church or you become a regular attender, you're giving all of these awesome people permission to meddle in your affairs sometimes. 
right? I'm not saying they look through your diary or they're wiretapping your house or they're, they're like spying on you. But my goodness, is it hard to like look at somebody and be like, hey, you know, how you been? I miss you. Like, I haven't seen you in church. Like, oh, don't judge me. It's like, well, why, why, you know, if like you become a partner, you put yourself up to this, like, accountability. It's good. It's healthy. You know what I mean? Like, if, if I went to my Christmas party and my uncle didn't show up and nobody called him, like, hey, where's Uncle David? Oh, uh, we don't know. We don't want to ask him. Like, like, call him. Like, where is he? What if he's hurt? And then same with church. If your brother or sister hasn't been coming in a while, pick up the dang phone and call them. Have an awkward conversation and say, hey, where you been? I miss you. I care about you. Right? And it says you bring this person back into church and you've done a good thing and, like, you cared about the wandering brother or sister. Don't be afraid to confront people. Honestly, everybody is so afraid to confront people, whether it be if they're dangerous lifestyle or whether it be that they miss church. And we're so afraid to, like, talk to somebody because we're afraid it's too confrontational that somebody's life gets messed up and we didn't intervene at all because we were too afraid of meddling in other people's affairs. God is saying, go ahead, try to bring them back. Don't write them off. Don't write them off. Can you guys think of anybody who has wandered from the faith? Okay, if you have, have you just wandered, have you wrote them off? Have you been like, or can you reach out to them today and be like, hey, where you been? Where you been? I, I miss you. I want you back. Jesus wants you back, you know, and, and reach out to them. Because he's saying, if you do that, you have, it says here, you've saved their soul from death, and then you'll help them cover a multitude of sins. Not that you'll cover a multitude of sins, but you'll bring them back to Jesus. And all the multitude of sins that they may have done in their wandering will be covered by the blood of Jesus because you reached out to them and brought them back. Amen? Maybe it's not even that deep. Maybe they've just been going through a rough patch. But he's saying, don't be afraid to meddle in your Christian brothers' and sisters' affairs for the glory of God and in the name of love because you care about them. Amen? To do that. So I think we got some good pieces of things here for this Christmas season. Reach out to your wandering brother. Worship team, you can come forward and have the heart of Elijah to, to pray for things that may make you feel uncomfortable. Let's pray. God, we come before you and uh, lift this passage up to you. There's so many things in here that's rich, God. There's five different points, God, that we can hold on to, that we can cling to. I don't know what each person here needs, God, but you do. You know what each person needs. You know what each person's struggle is. So, God, I just pray through each one of these points. God, I pray that we come to ask for healing when we're sick in faith. God, I pray that if we have sin in our life that nobody knows about, we tell somebody. We tell our missional community. We tell a friend. We get it out of the darkness and put it into the light. God, I pray that if anybody here feels defeated, they feel like a loser, they feel like they've already lost the battle, God, help them realize the battle's already been won. The victory is out there. Give us the faith, God, to ask things that just seem so crazy we're afraid to ask for them. Give us faith to know that you can move in the darkest of situations. Help us walk around walk around like victors and not victims. God, help us trust 
that the same power that was in Elijah is in us. Help us trust that, as the word says, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is in us. And help us not put ourselves in a box. Lord, we lift that up to you and help us walk around like victors, God. God, help us not defeat ourselves before it starts. And God, if there's anybody that was a part of our church family that maybe is just wandering, that they're, that they're struggling, they're out on their own, God, that we don't write them off, but we reach out to them, we try. God, we recognize that some people will not listen to us. Some people will not try, but God, help us make an effort. For the ones that are willing to come back, they come back. So God, um, I pray for this Christmas season. I pray for Christmas Eve. I pray for all of our Christmas parties. This is a time of great joy, Lord, but it's a time of great sadness for a lot of folks. A lot of folks here are missing loved ones that are gone, not here this Christmas. A lot of us here struggle with holiday depression. A lot of families are struggling this Christmas and they got to talk about it at Christmas time. So God, I pray for our church family that Christmas is a time of peace. Christmas is a time of joy. It's a time of comfort. And Lord, you just bring peace um, in all of our situations. So God, we love you. We worship you. And we just claim the promises that we, we uh, listen to here today. I just pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we sing these last two songs.